The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. This uh, today marks the beginning of what uh, a lot of Christians call Holy Week. I guess, um, I don't know if that's a, the best term. I think all weeks should be holy for believers, but it's, it's a special week in that we're, we start to remember, uh, commemorate the, the thing that created the church, the whole reason why we're here. Paul said, if we don't worship a risen Savior, then there's no reason that we should just pack up and go home. I mean, all the stuff that we talk about, all the stuff we do, the band that plays, the songs that we sing, the you guys coming here, bring your Bible, me getting up here talking, me waking up early this morning and getting the trailer and coming here and us coming early to set up and hang all these pipes and drapes and buy the pipes and drape and keep that company in business and put these up and put out those like those little cinnamon buns that are like crack outside in the lobby. Like uh, we're, all that is in vain. All that is a waste of time. It'd be better for us to sleep, sleep late at home today, watch some cartoons. Uh, if you're like so inclined, act, you know, if you're like a curse and you actually like to play golf and you go and play, play golf and uh, whatever it is that you would rather do on a Sunday, that's what we should do. But today we start to remember the week that Jesus Christ actually, who was a real man, actually began the, the very, to close the deal for our salvation. He, and with, if you think about it, we like to own it here at Doxa, the story that we believe as Christians is an outlandish story. We believe that Jesus Christ was the second person that God had, the Son of God, and he became a man. He was born of a virgin. So already, it's like, that's a crazy story already. And, you know, you guys remember, uh, remember Christmas. It wasn't that long ago when there were angels and shepherds and wise men and a whole kind of crazy stuff that went on then. And then Jesus was born. He lives a perfect life. And then he lives, he goes around the, the region of Galilee and he heals people. He raises people from the dead. He casts demons out of people. He preaches and multiplies like loaves and fishes and feeds lots of people. And all kinds of crazy things happen. And then the most crazy thing of all happened as he, now we remember, as he goes back to Jerusalem and he's going to his death. Today is Palm Sunday when the people welcomed him back into Jerusalem with great cries of praise and the, the people and the children would lay down palm branches so that the donkey that he was riding on wouldn't have to step on the actual ground. It was, it was fulfilling a prophecy that had been told years and years ago as Jesus triumphantly enters the city that just, just a few days later he would be killed in by an angry mob. And then not only that, but we believe that on Friday he was crucified, a horrible death to pay the penalty for you and my, our sins, that you and I, the death that you and I rightly deserved. He died that death. And then three days later on what we now call Easter Sunday, he rose again. And he appeared to lots of people for 40 days and then he went up to heaven and seated at the right hand of God and he's coming back again. This is the story that we believe that we are commemorating this Easter week. And for us as believers, like we own, like that, that's a real thing that happened. Jesus was a real man. He died a real death and he rose for real and he's coming back again for real. That's what we are here to celebrate. I don't know about you, but Sometimes for me, no matter how much I believe it, no matter how much I've based my life upon it, I have built my life around the fact that Jesus Christ lived and died and is coming back again for me. 
I've built my life upon that. But sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes there's some mornings I wake up, some days that I go through, some weeks that I go through, and that seems like a million miles away. There's sometimes where I doubt, oftentimes, moments where things are going well, but things are going so well in my life that I doubt whether this all real. Because this world feels so real, doesn't it? It feels like this is it. Like you look around and like you drive around and it feels like maybe, maybe this is all there is. And sometimes I doubt. Sometimes things are going so poorly that I doubt. And I wonder, could anybody really be in charge of my life or this world when you see the way it's going? Maybe this whole thing is in vain. It's sort of, even though so it was, our faith is based on a concrete thing that really happened, sometimes it's just not tangible. It's kind of ethereal. It's hard to get my, my, my hands around, my arms around. It's hard to get my, my head around it sometimes. You ever been there? It's sort of like in the beginning of a relationship when, uh, when you first declare your love for somebody. And, and, and the feelings are just gushing, Right? And, and every time you see him and you think about him and your, your heart flutters and you, you talk to him on the phone and you, know, you do that stupid thing like, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. And you, know, you can't wait to see. I just saw you last night, but I can't wait to see you this morning. I'll send you a text to see how you're doing. And I, I'm a dude. I'll even send you little heart emojis because I'm, I'm all worked up over it. Like, I'm all worked up about this. Like, and, and, and then it leads up to the moment of, of marriage where you're standing before a crowd of people and she comes in dressed in a beautiful dress and you declare your love and you go on the honeymoon and everything's awesome and amazing but how many of you guys have you ever gotten far enough in a relationship maybe in marriage or maybe not quite in marriage yet you've gotten far enough in a relationship where some mornings you wake up and there's morning breath and you know the, they, they left their they keep leaving their cup their glasses beside the bed or you know they they, they, they take the toothpaste and they they don't you know you like to squeeze it work it from the bottom methodically and they'll just grab it in the middle and squirt like an animal and from the very from the from the middle and you're like what is going on here and we forget sometimes that those great declarations and feelings of deep love and devotion to each other just also it's hard to get our arms around sometimes you know what I'm saying and there are, even though we have stood before a crowd of witnesses and family, we declared our undying and everlasting love and devotion for each other. Sometimes that love and devotion, though it's concrete, that we stood in front of God and witnesses and family and friends who declare that we will be together forever, sometimes that has to be renewed. Sometimes, even though even though they know you love them, you have to express your love to them in concrete ways. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? Like, they, they need, they need a, a, or want, or desire, a, a gift, some quality time with you, a, an act of service, a, a physical affection. They, they need some things to, to them. And ladies, you know, your guys are the same way. Sometimes we pretend like, like we all got it together, but you know, like we, we just like, we need some love and affection. We need you to remind us that you love us. We know it, but we have to remind each other with concrete expressions of love 
and devotion to each other because sometimes it's just hard to get my arms around. It's hard to get my head around. Sometimes I forget, even though I know. If you ask me, does she love you? And you ask, you ask her, does he love you? Like we know the answer, but we need something more concrete, something more solid. We need a, a solid, concrete expression of love to each other. And that's what we're talking about as we're talking about spiritual gifts in the church. Because sometimes, doesn't God seem like a million miles away? And even though I know he loves me, I know that Jesus died for me, I just need a reminder. I need something concrete, something physical, something present to express that to me. And that's what the spiritual gifts are. Though Sometimes the, his love and his grace to me is abstract and ethereal. Sometimes he just needs to come down and to touch me and to speak to me. So it's not so much like a, a shadow. It's not so much like a theoretical idea, but it's something for real that I know and experience. We need spiritual gifts. Look at this passage that Grace read for us. Thank you, Grace. And this is our second week in this passage because I really wanted to, to touch on the things that are going on here. Start up in verse 4. Now, these are some, some interesting things to read, guys. Now, there are varieties of gifts with the same spirit. We're going to come back to that later on. And there are varieties of service with the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities. So he said there's, there's different gifts or different service, different activities, but it's the same God, the same Lord, same Spirit who's empowering them all behind the scenes. Now to each, we touched on that last week, spiritual gifts are given to each person. The manifestation of the Spirit is given, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. Okay, so, so most of us are like, okay, uh, somebody's going to say something that's wise. Somebody's going to say something that has knowledge. Okay, I'm there, faith. Okay, that sounds, okay, I'm, I think I'm tracking with you. And now it gets to this part. And to another, gifts of healing by the, same, by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he, as he wills. What he's talking about here, and we're going to talk about some of these specifically in a moment, but what he's talking about here is that, and Dale's going to be talking about this in two weeks after Easter, that we are the body of Christ. The church is the body of Jesus Christ on earth. So Jesus was here. He walked around. We touched on last week how he went around. He healed people. He cast demons out of people. He proclaimed the acceptable year of the Lord. The grace of God, the kingdom of God had come to the kingdom of darkness. He came to not to, to do away with the created order, but to restore us to the way things were meant to be. You ever get that feeling like sometimes like this world is broken. This, this isn't the way it's meant to be. You guys seen any reports in the news this week that made you think like, man, that's not the way things are supposed to be. He came to restore things to the way they were meant to be originally. And the church is what we call a now and not yet picture of that kingdom that has come. 
So it's now in that we, he's ascended into heaven and he has filled us with his spirit. He has filled you and me. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he has filled you with his spirit. And together he has filled us with his spirit. He calls us his, the temple of God where his presence dwells now on earth. Are the temples no longer confined to one place in Jerusalem where his presence dwelt, but it now dwells in you and me individually and us collectively as the church. So when people see us, they should be seeing the presence of God on earth. And just as Jesus came and declared the kingdom of God and the kingdom erupted all, all around him, created order was restored in some ways around him. People were healed, people were restored, people were repented and were restored as sons and daughters of God. That should be happening in our midst, but it's also not yet in that it's not yet fully come. So the church stands as sort of like an embassy, sort of like an outpost in the middle of enemy territory. If you, if you picture a war zone, all around this one compound, are t- fighting, it's war all around it, darkness, there's, there is uh, anarchy all around it, but in this one compound, this, this foreign kingdom is in control. They've established a foothold. And whenever you cross the walls into that place, it's like you've entered the, the kingdom that is far away. In the midst of this darkness, in the midst of anarchy, in the midst of war and depravity, there's this one place of peace and calm because they have established a foothold, a compound, an a embassy in the midst of the darkness. And that's where the church is. You and I are called to be an embassy in the middle of darkness that is showing the kingdom that is to come, that points to the kingdom that is now but not fully yet. That will be whenever he returns. Let's look at this list that Paul goes through. I'd be remiss if we uh, didn't talk about some of these things. As, again, as I mentioned, they kind of stand out in our, in our world. So let's talk about this, some of these things that he mentions in this list. First of all, he says, uh, to each is given, verse 7, the manifest, manifestation of the Spirit for the, the common good, verse 8. For to one is given to the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge. Now, the truth is, no matter what you have heard, maybe in your past background, maybe you've heard this taught on in a particular way, maybe you haven't, it, he does not define exactly what this means, the utterance of knowledge and the utterance of wisdom. We don't know exactly why he lists them separately, except that uh, to the church in Corinth that he's writing, in the city of Corinth, Knowledge and wisdom was held very high. In fact, the, the people who weren't believers, they sort of worshipped the idea of wisdom. That you could grow in knowledge and wisdom to a point, like it was a, sort of a pursuit in itself. The Greek culture, in fact, that they would even, in, in Athens, when Paul was in Athens, it said like, they just loved to hear new ideas spouted out and explained because they were just looking for wisdom and knowledge. They were thirsting for it. So they held it very high. And so Paul is saying, hey, and he's been actually saying that the whole book of Corinthians, like, hey, your idea of what wisdom and knowledge is isn't necessarily God's idea for what wisdom and knowledge is. Because wisdom and knowledge that comes from God is it doesn't puff us up. The wisdom and knowledge that comes from God says that we, Oprah's wrong. There's no better self in you that's going to lead to a perfect life for you. That that road is a dead-end road. 
that you were lost and hopeless and you needed a savior who would come not as a hero on a white horse, but as a suffering savior who would die and pay the penalty that you could not die. He took a bullet for you and me. We'll talk about that next week. That's wisdom. That's true knowledge. And I think what he's talking about here is he gives to some of us at times a, a ability to explain it in such a way that people hear it and believe it. You ever been in a meeting sometimes or a gathering with somebody? Maybe you're sitting around a table and like they, they say something and it just kind of, man, you, maybe you've heard it 10 times before. They say it that, that day and it touches you. Why does it touch you at that moment? It didn't another time. Because at that moment, the Spirit used it to speak to you. What we're talking about is God moving in our midst in ways that we cannot understand and cannot explain, where he himself encourages us, he strengthens us, he reminds us concretely of his love and devotion and grace to us. At times when it's ethereal and hard to put my arms around and my head around, and it seems like a million miles away, he comes and speaks to me right when I need it, out of your lips to me. And that's why we need each other. That's why I take time on my Wednesday mornings. That's why I take time on my Tuesday nights when sometimes I would rather do something else than gather with a bunch of guys at 6.30 in the morning at a Cracker Barrel or gather with some people on, after work when I'm tired at 6.30 at my house or somebody else's house for a community group. Because in those moments, I know that I need Jonathan and I need Justin and I need Dan and I need Jamin and I need Ketra to speak God's word to me so I can hear it and believe because I am weak in myself. The third thing he mentions is to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good, the utterance of wisdom, the utterance of knowledge to another faith. And what this means is this isn't about saving faith where a person First, my faith and trust in Jesus. This is about a special enabling to trust God when otherwise I wouldn't be able to. When uh, I think I experienced this to an extent whenever we decided to plant this church. Megan and I, we felt called. We talked to the people of the E-Free, which is the denomination that we're a part of, and we were approved as church planters. And then we said, like, hey, we're going to plant a church. And quite frankly, it was a crazy statement to make because we had uh, no people, we had no money, and nobody was clamoring for this to happen. Like we just felt called to do this. And as we started to like, we, our first time that we gathered at our house, we said, hey, we're going to pray tonight. We're going to plant a church. Anybody want to join us and pray about this? Like we literally did not know if anybody was going to show up except my mom. And each step along the way, there were things like, if I was to look at circumstances, like, I would not have continued down this road. Dale, there were times last year, at this time last year, when this room was almost empty. On Easter Sunday, I think there were 12 or 15 people in this room on Easter Sunday last year. And I'm going to tell you, like, sometimes you're just like, let's just fold this up and go home. We're wasting our time. But I, God had, I feel, given me a gift of faith to believe. 
that that's what he wanted to do. And that for some reason, not because I was great or the band of people that joined together as the core team were great, but because God had called us to do it, that he would empower us to do what he had called us to do. He gives us a gift of faith. How many times have maybe you've been down and out? You were struggling. And somehow, somewhere, a faith came for you to wake up the next morning when circumstances around you said, let's just end the whole thing. But you got up. And if you look back, you say, I don't know how I continue to live and how I continue to go on. But God gave you a gift of faith. Look at the next. It says, gifts of healing. Well, this, actually, it's, there's no secret there. What he's saying there is that just as when Jesus came and he declared healing to those who were broken, and he healed the sick, that in our midst, not everyone, but in our midst, that God would move as we pray for each other to give gifts of healing, to heal those who are sick and needy in our midst. The interesting thing there that a lot of the commentators talk, commentators talk about is it doesn't say the gift of healing, but it says gifts of healing. What that means is there's probably not particular people who have a gift of healing who every person they pray for is miraculously and amazingly healed no matter what you've seen on certain television networks. Well, that God moves as he sees fit in ordinary people like you and me when we're gathered around a table, gathering after a service like this and we pray for each other and somebody is miraculously, amazingly healed to the glory of God in such a way that nobody gets credit. Nobody gets their name put up in lights because they're an amazing healer. But God healed somebody through ordinary people like you and me and that person leaves declaring the goodness and the amazingness of God, not the amazingness of you the amazingness of me. And that same thing stands for miraculous powers. There will be times, though because it's a now and not yet kingdom, not every time, not all the time, where God will move in miraculous and powerful ways that cannot be explained by human understanding. Look at the next on the list. To some, um, to another prophecy. When uh, the Spirit of God fell on the day of Pentecost, which was the day that the church was born, the church, not Doxa Church, the capital C church, that God poured out his spirit upon all people. When, and when Peter stood up and he addressed the people who were around wondering what was going on, he said, this is that which the prophet Joel spoke about in Joel 2.28 when he said, and he goes through this whole list, and one of the things he said is that your sons and daughters will prophesy. And what that means is that God will at times speak to and through you and me to each other. Again, have there been times when you're gathered at a, a table with some other believers or gather around a small group or talking with somebody and, and they, they said, hey, are, are you struggling with, are you struggling? What, what's going on? I've been really, man, you've been, been on my heart this past week. Or somebody gives you a call. Hey, man, I, I've just been thinking about you. What, what's, what's going on? Are you okay? And you're like, man, I don't know why you called me right now, but at this very moment, I 
was really struggling. I really needed somebody to speak, to, to, to call me, to touch base with me. That's God speaking to and through you to somebody else in a way that they couldn't get on their own. They needed you to speak to them or, they, or you needed them to speak to you. God working and speaking through his people and to his people for the edification and building up of his body. Let's roll. I've got a lot more to cover here. Next, the distinguishing of between spirits. This has actually confounded a lot of the commentators, exactly what he's talking about. You may have heard it talked about one way or the other. We don't know exactly what that means that Paul was just meaning here at this point. Except that it, it means in some way that he gives protection in the midst of his people to know. Because Jesus said there's going to be false prophets that are going to come and do amazing things in my name. Okay, guys, if you're, like, you sat down on, and I don't I mean to be picking on her today, but I already mentioned her. Like, you sat down and watched the Oprah show? Like, man, that's some compelling stuff, right? I mean, she seems so calm, and the, the videography is beautiful, and the person she's talking to is spouting these beautiful things. Man, I want to believe that, but he, he speaks, and he gives us the ability to distinguish, hey, is that God? Is that not God? We're going to get to what our first method of doing that is, but to, to be able to help each other discern, hey, where is this coming from? Because sometimes there will be people that will come into our midst. If you've been around church long, you've seen that there are false prophets who come in, and they want to say, hey, God told me to tell you this. And if you're a new believer, you might be like, man, God told you to tell me that. And man, I should do exactly what you said. But the distinguishing between spirits is the ability for somebody to come along beside you and say, hey, I know they said God said this. I would chillax on that. I would back up from that a little bit. For us to protect each other and God to protect his people because he's the good shepherd He's the senior pastor, as we mentioned last week, of the church. Dale and I are under shepherds. He is the senior pastor. He is the shepherd above all of us that is caring for and taking care of his flock. And these last two uh, are interesting. We're actually going to get to these more. So if I skip over these, uh, more than what you would like, uh, we can talk about it afterwards. You can talk about it in your C groups, but we will be talking about it in the chapters to come. Various kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. Anybody else that, that kind of weirds you out when you read that? Like, well, what in the world is he talking about there? What's going to happen next week when I show up? Why is Randy talking about this? What's he asking us to do? I'm just saying, if it's in God's word, then it's true. I don't know when it happens or how it happens, but if he gives it to us and it's a gift, then it's something that he has given for our good and for his glory. And if it happens in a spirit-induced, spirit-empowered way, it will be the kind of thing that will glorify him and not glorify any other person. It's interesting, though, that these aren't the only times that Paul lists particular gifts of the Spirit. Uh, and it's never the same list twice. And I think that's because Paul's interest here, and all the, all the commentators agree on this, Paul's concern here in this passage isn't to give us a catalog of all the spiritual gifts that happen. He's giving examples of spiritual gifts because if you look at the end of the verse there, of this, of this uh, section, 
All these, or verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as, as he wills. He, the Spirit, gives what he sees fit in the moment that is needed, in that particular moment, that particular circumstance, that particular situation. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 8. This is another list that Paul gives. See, we're going to see how this kind of looks a lot like this passage that we're reading, though he gives a different list of gifts. Having gifts, verse 6, that differ according to the grace given to us. According to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, to the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Notice how it's a very different list than the last list we had. I mean, there's some different things in here that like, look at some of the mundane things he lists. So he says teaching, he says prophecy, like those are kind of the headliners, right? But like he also says to the one who contributes, to the one who gives, the one who leads, the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. He calls them gifts that God gives that we should use according to the grace that is given to us. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. Peter's giving us a list now. Or he's talking about the gifts, actually. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Listen to that. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order. So, so, so stop. He gives two Two kind of broad categories of gifts there. He's saying like some are going to speak. They're going to be like public. They're going to be proclaiming to each other. And some are very mundane, it's seemingly, to serve each other. As one who, uh, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So there's a way to serve out of our own strength. There's a way to speak out of my own ability, my own knowledge, my own strength and ability. And there's a way to speak and a way to serve by the strength of God, by the power of God, by the grace of God in order. So this is the end. So when we gather together as believers on a Sunday morning or we gather together in a C group or we gather together for lunch or coffee with each other, we should be doing so in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the gifts that God gives, the spiritual gifts in our midst, so that God would be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. The gifts are personal. They come from one person to the other person, or one person to all of us together. They are grace gifts. That's the, the wording here in our passage in 1 Corinthians. It says when he gives gifts to us, the word there is, uh, well, I don't, it's a Greek word, it's, and, it has, and the meaning of the word is grace 
gift. It's a gracious gift. So just as I declared my devotion to Megan 15 years ago before family and friends, I still have to continually declare my devotion and love to her in concrete, tangible expressions of love that are continually showing her my love for her. In the same way, God is continually, tangibly, concretely expressing his love, devotion, and grace to you and me through the spiritual gifts to each other out of each other's lives. Here's a working definition that I have for what a spiritual gift is. A spiritual gift is an act of service. First of all, it is an act of service. The idea, if you come from a charismatic background, it's like I come from sometimes, like the, if somebody had supposedly or did have some sort of a spiritual gift, we sort of made them a star. And we built the church around the star, the great speaker, or the great whatever the person, their supposed spiritual gift was. But the idea of spiritual gift is that it's an act of service that I give to my Lord and to my fellow believer. It's an act of service empowered by God that concretely shows his grace and strengthens the faith of others. A spiritual gift is an act of service empowered by God that concretely and tangibly shows his grace and strengthens the faith of others. If, if a spiritual gift is not in, in uh, somebody's faith being strengthened and Jesus Christ being glorified, then there's a problem there. and It's probably not a spiritual gift being, being exercised. It's a spiritual gift. It's not just a personal talent or ability or inclination. So if you and I are believers, we are called to bring. He is our Lord. We bring all the talents, all the abilities, all the inclinations that we have, and we, we leverage it all for his kingdom. We leverage it all for his glory. But it's not about like, so I, I as my friends and my wife can tell you, I am a talker. I can get up and talk for 40, 45 minutes, just about pretty much anything at a drop of a hat. And if I'm in a good mood and it's something that I'm fairly passionate about, I can talk for 40, 45 minutes and maybe not bore most of the people in the room. And in my best, I can kind of keep some people pretty interested. And people can leave like, hey, uh, man, that was, that was okay. I don't mind that I spent the last 40, 45 minutes doing that. But that's not what I'm called to do when I stand up here on a Sunday morning. I am standing up here praying, God, would you speak? So I have a gift and an ability to get up and talk, but I'm asking God, would you empower my natural ability and do something that only you can do so that the people won't be entertained or find something interesting or just hear information, but that your spirit would speak to their spirit and encourage them in a way that I cannot personally do. And if you ever leave here encouraged or built up when I'm speaking or Dale or Jonathan or Justin or anybody else and built up in your faith, it's not because... Jonathan or Justin or Dale or myself are particularly brilliant or a great communicator. It's because God's spirit spoke and encouraged you and built you up. And you and your own natural talents and abilities, you should be leveraging that for the God's kingdom and his glory. But you should be asking when we gather together, God, would you add your spirit empoweredness to this. I just made that word up. Would you add your power to this? Would you do, would you plug this in and do what only you can do? Would you take my service? How can service, 
How can serving somebody and setting up chairs or pipes and drape or dropping money in a box, how can that encourage people and build people up in their faith? It can if you're doing so in the power of the Spirit in service to God. In Romans 1, 11 and 12, Paul said, you don't have to turn there, Paul said, he was, he was writing to the church in Rome. It's the church that he, it's the letter that we had to a church that he didn't actually plant and found. And he writes to them and he says, I long to come to you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. And what he's saying there is he's saying like, hey, I long to come to you so I can impress you with my great speaking or power or ability. He says, I long to come to you that, I may, that God may serve you through me, that I may have a, a way of investing in you, not myself, but God would speak through me and move through me to build you up in your faith. And that should be the mindset that you and I should have when we come together on a Sunday morning. We should be coming together like, not, hey, would you wow me today, Bam? Would you wow me, great speaker? Would, and I'm going to leave and say, that was pretty good, or that wasn't such a good Sunday, and you know, maybe drop some money in the basket, take the bread, dip it in the juice, and go home like I paid my dues? Or should we be coming as believers saying, God, would you impart some spiritual gift through me to the other people in this place today, that you may tangibly and concretely encourage and build up the other people's faith around me. When I go to a C group, I should be praying, God, tonight, I'm tired. I don't want to be here. But God, would you empower my words? and Would you help me to serve your people and to serve you in some way that they may be mutually, we may be mutually encouraged by your presence in our midst? So the right question isn't necessarily to ask, oh, what is my spiritual gift? but rather where and how can I serve others in such a way that God might empower me to serve them and build up their faith? Now, practically, how do we do this? We'll wrap it up. First of all, I think it means that we gather with intentionality. It means that when you and I come on a Sunday morning, as I just mentioned, on a C group, uh, we gather together with each other, that we gather together with intention. God, would you speak to the other people here through me? And also, would you speak to me through the other people here? Would you tangibly and concretely encourage me and build me up and help me to encourage and build up the other people in this room? Second, we should take time to pray for and with each other. We gather together and we're struggling. We should take time and pray for each other. And then third, we should put ourselves in position of service and mission. I'm convinced that one reason that we don't see God move in our midst in miraculous, unexplained ways is because most of us come as consumers. And we view church as, what am I getting out of this? Instead of saying, God, how can I not just come to a meeting, but how can I put myself in positions where I'm serving God and I'm living life on mission and it's there. We're serving each other, living life on mission, that he will empower us. He will show up in amazing and mighty ways and do what can only be explained by him. Living and moving powerfully in our midst. Lastly, and I'll throw this out. How do we test the spiritual gifts? Number one, the question is, does it line up with Scripture in content and practice? 
So that's why it's so important that we should study, we should be students of the Bible and devote ourselves to learn and know what it says. Because it's the, it's the grid that, that sifts everything that's not of God out. Because it shows us who God is. The second question is, does this display and glorify Jesus? Is Jesus being glorified? And thirdly, does it produce faith in Jesus and other people? I looked up the, on Wikipedia so we know it's true. What the job of a conductor of a symphony is. And it said the primary responsibilities of a conductor are to unify the performers, set the tempo, execute clear preparations and beats, listen critically, and shape the sound of the ensemble and to control the interpretation and placing of the music. And that's a picture of what God's Spirit is doing with us as the church. You and I each have a piece of the music to play. Each of us have been given a gift or gifts. It's like the instrument. And we are to fix our eyes on the conductor and do exactly what he says to do when he says to do it. And the piece of that, the thing about that is if, if you just had the flute or you have the drum and you're off by yourself and you're practicing the music, it may not sound like any recognizable piece of music. But when you put it all together, and everybody is watching the conductor, and they're following his time and his vision, and you come in whenever he tells you to come in, and you fade out when he tells you to fade out, and you play stronger when he tells you to play stronger, and you play lower when he play, tells you to play lower, when you put it all together, a beautiful symphony is played. And that's what the church is called to look like as we all fix our eyes on Jesus and he is conducting us in our, maybe we feel like insignificant lives or insignificant gifts, but when you put it all together and we play in concert, there's beautiful music that's made and God is glorified. Let's commit ourselves to be that kind of church that God would tangibly and concretely display his grace to each other through each other and that together, by placing our eyes on Jesus, that he would conduct us to be a body that works in concert together, consistently and constantly, in our own weak way, empowered by the Spirit, declaring the glory of God that's found in the face of Jesus Christ. This morning, if you're not a believer, if you've never placed your faith and trust in him, I pray that you would place, that you would, Confess the risen and wounded Lord as your Lord and Savior. And if you are a believer this morning, I pray as we partake of the body and blood of Jesus, we listen as the band comes up and plays, that, that you and I would think about what do I need to do to devote myself that God would declare himself his glory and his beauty in our midst as the church in a beautiful concert together. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. 
Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.